Tonight on NJ Spotlight News. Deadly airstrikes in Gaza continue as close to a million Palestinians are forced to evacuate, causing anguish and fear from families here in New Jersey. Every day we sit waiting on our phones to see if, if our friends and our family are alive. Do you know how that feels? Also, the disinformation war. New Jersey's Representative Frank Pallone calls on social media platforms to take action on posts that misrepresent the conflict in the Middle East. Terrorist associations shouldn't have accounts that they can use. Uh, and then the second thing is, if it does go up, that it immediately has to be taken down or not repeated. Plus, Senator Bob Menendez back in court this week, facing the latest charge of acting as a foreign agent. They showed us with the superseding indictment, they're not done. So I think we're going to see a lot more stuff come out. And more diversity in law enforcement. Montclair State looking to inspire black and brown youth to serve in blue. I love to investigate. I want to fight crime. I want to be able to be the boots on the ground that's investigating. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted, committed to the creation of a new long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Monday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. The Israel-Hamas war is escalating as the humanitarian crisis in Gaza worsens. The densely packed Gaza Strip that's home to roughly 2.2 million Palestinians is being leveled by Israeli airstrikes. Retaliation for last week's deadly attack by the militant group Hamas that killed at least 1,400 Israeli people and wounded more than 4,000, according to officials. Israel's military this weekend warned Palestinians to evacuate through southern Gaza as it prepares for a likely ground offense, pledging to wipe out Hamas with a, quote, even greater force. Already, more than 2,600 Palestinians have been killed in the brutal war and thousands more injured. The evacuation orders are being criticized by humanitarian agencies amid a standoff at the Rafah crossing, which is Gaza's only pathway to Egypt, where trucks carrying aid have waited days to pass through and desperate Palestinian civilians are being blocked from crossing. The U.N. says hospitals in Gaza are at risk of collapse as water, fuel and medicine are nearly depleted. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was on the ground today in Israel, pledging support while also urging restraint to spare civilian lives. Here at home, Palestinian Americans are reporting receiving increased threats and harassment, while New Jersey's chapter of the Council on American-Islamic Relations says it hasn't had this many calls relating to Islamophobia since 2017, when a ban was placed on citizens in six majority Muslim countries. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan has the latest. Every day we sit waiting on our phones to see if, if our friends and our family are alive. Do you know how that feels? Pal 
Palestinians in Passaic County with family back in Gaza spoke with emotion about their fears. Their worried loved ones won't make it out of the evacuation zone before Israeli defense forces launch a full-scale counterattack against Hamas. And they claim they're now the target of anti-Palestinian bigotry right here in New Jersey. I have text messages coming in of people telling me their stories. One person being told she can no longer work in this company if she continues to post. Palestinians want peace, but this is not the way to achieve peace. Weeping with anger and grief, several speakers from New Jersey's Palestinian community told stories of hatred directed against their people. They blamed a power structure that demonizes Palestinians and biased reporting by journalists. We have a physician uh, who was employed at Hackensack Hospital. Jersey Shore for over two and a half years. He posted on social media in support of Palestine. He was then terminated after a Zionist colleague pressured the hospital administration. So tell them the truth. There is no difference between a journalist and those giving the order to drop the bombs if you do not do that. The Patterson area is home to some 20,000 Palestinians, the largest concentration of any U.S. city. Families here have already lost relatives during Israeli reprisals for the Hamas attack October 7th, when the terror group slaughtered more than 1,300 Israeli men, women, and children. Israel responded by pounding Gaza City with deadly airstrikes decimating more than 2,600 Palestinians and cutting off food, power, and water, creating a humanitarian crisis the World Health Organization predicted would be a, quote, death sentence. Palestinians say there's no safe space in Gaza. Tensions between both sides ratcheted up over the past week with demonstrations demanding justice. After the Hamas attack, New Jersey officials tightened security at Jewish schools and temples and at mosques. With incidents of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia spreading, folks caught in the cultural crossfire fear for their safety. Every day we are fielding distressing calls from our community members. Teens are being harassed in public. Students are being called terrorists. Professors are threatened. Governor Murphy called out all bias incidents, warning violence or discrimination against anyone based on their religion, whether it's Judaism, Islam, or anything else, is never justified. He stated, may New Jersey be a shining example of how diverse communities can live, work, and pray together. I am tired of our voices not being heard. We want this violence to end. As families agonize over loved ones trapped in Gaza, diplomats continue negotiating over allowing Palestinians with dual U.S. citizenship to exit into Egypt. But Hamas has ordered people not to leave. Almost 200 Israeli hostages remain unaccounted for. Families here who fled to New Jersey to escape decades of Israeli control over the fenced-in Gaza Strip want state officials to address their grievances. But this is not unprovoked. This did not come from nowhere. This is the result of 75 years of anger, anguish, pain, fear, and frustration of having to fight for their own basic human rights. U.S. diplomats have said that the Hamas attack was intended to derail negotiations for a two-state solution, but it's also started a war with grim consequences for families here and around the world. In Clifton, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News.
Here in the U.S. and elsewhere, disinformation campaigns about the war on social media are getting harder to track. Experts say misleading content about the conflict is rampant online, and the media platforms changing policies have made it nearly impossible to hold them accountable. Ted Goldberg was with federal lawmakers and members of the Jewish community today as they demanded immediate action to combat the harmful spread of misinformation. They are complicit and they have blood on their hands. Community leaders have strong words for social media companies as misinformation and hate speech have flowed freely while Israel and Hamas have fought over the last two weeks. They actively seek to be the sources of information for the world and particularly for our younger generations. Yet they give a platform for hate and misinformation. And then they hide behind the Constitution, which they likely have neither read nor studied. Congressman Frank Pallone joined other leaders in calling for social media companies to do a better job of monitoring in the wake of this war. On platforms like Telegram and Facebook, Hamas has broadcast the executions of hostages. And pictures from previous wars have been reused, with users claiming they're from Israel and Gaza. Pallone says Hamas and groups like it take advantage of social media companies in two ways. Deliberately put on social media uh, violent content uh, in order to scare people. And then the second thing is false or misleading information where they essentially Hamas or its, or its allies, uh, you know, accuse Israel and its allies of doing things that are not true. A fake report went viral last weekend stating that the Biden administration approved $8 billion in emergency aid for Israel. The report was a photoshopped picture based on the Biden administration sending $400 million to Ukraine. Another report stated that Hamas had launched a new assault on Israel. That was debunked by video game developers who recognized the footage from one of their games. In recent statements, Meta says that Facebook has removed nearly 800,000 pieces of content in Hebrew and Arabic that violate their terms of service. And TikTok claims to have removed more than 500,000 videos that violate their guidelines. Pallone says these companies have to do more. Terrorist associations shouldn't have accounts that they can use. Uh, and then the second thing is if it does go up, that it immediately has to be taken down or not repeated. All Jews now find ourselves fighting a barrage of online threats, intimidation, anti-Semitic images. We're subjected to images and messages that make parents afraid to send their kids to Hebrew school. Go into any restaurant. What's every kid doing on their phone? What do they do when they go home? They're on their tablets. That cannot be, this should not be a weapon. Pallone and others spoke at the Middlesex County JCC in Edison where Mayor Sam Joshi says there's a tangible cost to misinformation spreading online. Our public safety resources end up getting spread out, whether it be our canine units or our officers. The sheer manpower that we need because of the misinformation, especially behind this, because stemming from this conflict. These people who are actually spreading this hate and who are actually putting the resources of our local police officials at risk by not being able to attend to real calls when they need to. For people that are actually in trouble and they're not able to get to them because they're busy chasing false leads. Some lawmakers have called for tighter regulations of social media companies. TikTok has been banned in Montana. 
but that law might not survive a lawsuit. Pallone says he's not quite at the point where Congress has to write new laws to punish these companies. These platforms uh, have what they call terms and conditions that basically meet, uh, you know, that, that probably meet what the law requires, right? Uh, but they're either weakening them or they're, um, they don't have any enforcement because they don't have any people to do the, uh, the moderation or to take things down or prevent them from getting up. So at this point, it's not a question of legislation as much as that they should meet the responsibility that they say they're going to do. Meta says Hamas is banned from posting on its platform, while TikTok made no mention of them in its most recent statement. X told us to check back later when we asked how they're responding to misinformation. Not a new threat, but a growing one worldwide. In Edison, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. The latest charges against U.S. Senator Bob Menendez also have ties to the Middle East, alleging the senior senator acted as a foreign agent on behalf of the Egyptian government from January 2018 to at least June 2022. The superseding indictment carries with it new penalties and moves the case from centering around public corruption to a potential national security issue. For all the latest details, I'm joined by NorthJersey.com reporter Christy Katafi. Christy, hi. Thanks for joining me again. Uh, a lot has been happening with this case. What's happening next, though, for Senator Menendez now that this superseding indictment has dropped? So right now you're going to see Senator Menendez and his wife in court. They're expected there on Wednesday morning and um, they're expected to do a plea. We know last time they pled not guilty. So we're just going to wait and see what happens on Wednesday morning now. And so remind us, he's been charged now, allegedly is acting as a foreign agent on behalf of the Egyptian government. What did the indictment say that he did? So the indictment, the first, the original indictment shed some light on what he was doing with Egypt and with Will Hanna. So it was about arms dealing. It was about how many U.S. officials were in the Egypt at that time. And the new superseding indictment did shed some more light. It showed that Hanna and Mrs. Menendez, his wife, were meeting in his office. They were asking for him for some help with their money, the Egyptian money that the U.S. has. And it was being held up because of the Egyptian government and a lawsuit pertaining to a U.S. citizen that was hurt during the deal. And right now, they asked if Menendez could help. The Egyptian official after the meeting text Hana and said, we can make Menendez sit comfortably if, this if he helps push this through. And Hana said, consider it done. Do we know the full scale of the alleged actions here? Um, and based off the reporting that you and your team have done, does it seem like there's still more to unearth? Because if the senator was allegedly taking these actions on these specific deals, do we know if he was also perhaps trying to make uh, influence allegedly uh, on other U.S. foreign relations? You know, we're not sure. But the one thing they did make clear when the indictment first broke was that this is still an ongoing investigation. So I think we're going to with the, and we, as they showed us with the superseding indictment, they're not done. So I think we're going to see a lot more stuff come out.
as the investigation continues. Uh, okay, so let's just shift gears. Uh, the last time we spoke, we were talking quite a bit about his wife, Nadine Arslania Menendez, and the car crash, the fatal 2018 car crash that she was involved in. Are there any new details there about uh, what transpired? So right now, I mean, it was five years ago. We're still talking to family members of um, Mr. Coop. That was the individual who she he hit, she hit, and um, later died. Um, so it's still ongoing. We're, you know, we're still getting documents. Um, you know, we're just basically digging up from five years ago. But we do know right now that the the prosecute the Bergen County Prosecutor's Fatal Investigation Unit. When we got those documents, their tests determined that she was driving within the speed limit between 22 and 27 miles per hour. And that's telling, yeah. I mean, given the extent, obviously, Mr. Coop's death, um, but there were talks about the fact that she was not uh, drug tested, she was not given a breathalyzer, um, and other perhaps protocol that may or may not have happened on the scene. Right. We know that from just the reports, nothing was issued. Again, no one's took the prosecutor's office, a lot of no comments. The Bogota Police Department, they're not issuing anything other than the documents that we've over-requested. But we know from the documents that she was never tested for alcohol, for drugs. They subpoenaed her phone records. But again, there was no results of what that subpoena came out with. All right. Christy Katafi is a reporter with NorthJersey.com, the Bergen Record, covering Senator Menendez's indictment. Christy, thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. Heightened police community relations have made it more difficult for departments to hire new recruits in recent years, but some reform advocates see it as a chance to reimagine policing. Montclair University recently hosted an event exploring the role of diversity in law enforcement and why representation is so important. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas has that story. We're here to inspire you guys to just broaden your horizon and be able to serve your community through law enforcement or law. High school and college students got to hear directly from law enforcement officers on the campus of Montclair State University recently about what it means to be black and brown serving in blue. Whenever someone is young, black and female and in charge, you get that, oh, you got the like diversity vote and you're in. Um, and I overcame all of that by just maintaining of being myself. I didn't like law enforcement growing up. I still don't like them on a certain level, even though I am one. So the goal of the conference is to engage high school and college scholars in very important conversations about their community relations and the lived experiences with black and brown officers. We've invited black and brown officers from across the country to share their lived experiences, share the highs and lows of their professions, and engage these scholars in being the change they want to see as it relates to improving their communities. It's also important that they receive opportunities like this to sit down and interface with law enforcement professionals and particularly law enforcement professionals that looks just like them, that comes from their community with that lived experience. You have to grow with the times and realize as the times are growing, you need to evolve with the times. So if I would tell anybody, that is one of the positive things, one of the things that help me to grow and help my people. The conversation ranged from the impact of police community relations, especially on young black and brown people, to the opportunities that exist for those students who want to pursue a career in law enforcement. If you guys have trouble paying for undergrad, you guys can start working and these agencies or departments will pay for your degrees. So you want to make sure that you know, what you put out there on the internet is like not going to come back to haunt you and that you're effectively conveying your thoughts in such a way, even if you disagree. 
60% of the scholars here are interested in law professions and law enforcement as a career. Students like Ryan Smith. My goals professionally is to go into the FBI, ultimately as a special agent working in counterterrorism. Um, the reason being is that I, um, I love to investigate. I want to fight crime. I want to be able to be the boots on the ground that's investigating these crimes and bringing justice and peace to our world. I'm definitely leaving here with the fact that being a minority um, is a huge thing in law enforcement and being comfortable being a part of that minority. I come from a perspective where law enforcement is not really for us, it's not really uh, supportive of our community or anything like that. So to hear what, like, what they go through and how they try to be with us, it's just like we have to meet each other we have to meet each other at the center, that kind of helps. We're here to change that narrative, to show them that it's, it's a lot more than what they see on the media. Just to let them know that us as law enforcement are actually a part of the community. Even those not interested in a law enforcement career walked away moved by what they heard. Just hearing the different perspectives from different officers in different fields and just like knowing that they are individuals in themselves and they have families they want to come home to. It's so profound what they have to say. So I'm always with an open mind, with open ears, just because I know that their words are expensive and at the cost of their experience, they're here to tell us all about that. Experience that these panelists hope will translate into the next generation of young black and brown recruits joining their ranks. In Montclair, I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. The nurses strike at RWJ University Hospital in New Brunswick has now reached a 74th day and there may be some promising signs, though no settlement yet. A hospital spokesperson confirmed the two sides met for several hours on Sunday, negotiating face to face without a federal mediator acting as a go between in the contract talks, signaling a possible turning point in tone of the negotiations. The hospital and union plan to meet again on Thursday. The union's 1,700 nurses went on strike on August 4th, and tensions rose after nurses lost their health care coverage in September. A main sticking point in the negotiations has been current staff-to-patient ratios, which the union says are unsafe. The hospital has maintained that staffing levels are among the highest in the state. In our Spotlight on Business report, drugstore chain Rite Aid is filing for bankruptcy, citing years of declining sales and growing debt from opioid lawsuits. The Philadelphia-based pharmacy filed for Chapter 11 protection on Sunday in a U.S. bankruptcy court in New Jersey, while also getting lenders to cough up nearly $3.5 billion in new financing as it goes through a restructuring plan. Rite Aid has faced a slew of lawsuits alleging the company helped fuel the nation's opioid epidemic by unlawfully filling prescriptions for the addictive painkillers and settled for $30 million in 2022 to resolve some of that litigation. Well, according to the company, some of the underperforming stores amid its more than 2,100 pharmacies will be closed, though it's unclear if any New Jersey locations will be affected. In a surprise move, New Jersey Transit has fired its head of construction management who was overseeing the $2.3 billion Portal North Bridge project. According to reports from NorthJersey.com, manager Mohammed Nassim was fired late last week with no explanation and escorted by police from the rail agency's headquarters in Newark. Nassim is a licensed engineer with more than 30 years of experience. He told NorthJersey.com transit officials would only say his termination was due to being an at-will employee. 
But Nassim says he recently raised concerns to federal and state transit officials about the Portal Bridge plans, which is the largest single project in New Jersey Transit's history and the first phase of the Gateway program to build new train tunnels under the Hudson River into Manhattan. Nassim was hired in 2021 by New Jersey Transit to oversee the bridge replacement after previously working for Amtrak heading the Gateway Project construction. A spokesperson for New Jersey Transit confirmed Nassim's departure but gave no details. On Wall Street, stocks jumped today to kick off a big earnings week, but traders are also bracing for volatility amid the conflict in Israel. Here's how trading numbers closed today. And finally tonight, more honors for a trailblazer whose pursuit for equal rights began as a faculty member at Rutgers Law School. The U.S. Postal Service today unveiled a new stamp featuring a portrait of the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who taught at Rutgers Law School in Newark from 1963 to 1972. The unveiling today was held at a campus building named in her honor with a number of notable guests in attendance, including Ginsburg's granddaughter, Clara Spera, a lecturer at Harvard Law School. The postage stamp features Ginsburg in her black judicial robe and iconic white collar with hair tied back. The photo, though, was taken in 2017, and the stamp is already on sale. Ginsburg died in September 2020 and is the first U.S. Supreme Court justice to get a solo stamp issue in two decades. That's going to do it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, and by the PSEG Foundation. If you need to see a doctor, RWJ Barnabas Health has two easy ways to do it from anywhere. You can see an urgent care provider 24-7 on any device with our telemed app. Or use our website to book a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist, even as a new patient. You've taken every precaution, and so have we. So don't delay your care any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.